Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today I got one of the most well-known, well-traveled wrestlers who you've probably never heard of. He's known everywhere in the world, but right here uh, in, in North America. I'm talking about Rebel Starbuck, Mike Mahalati. Uh, we go way back, all the way to Calgary, early 90s, where I gave him his first pair of wrestling boots and apparently even loaned him some tights for his first ever match against Lance Storm. You hear both those stories. Starbucks also talking about meeting Stu Hart, actually accosting him at his house, <laughs> uh, training with Lance Storm, why he went to Europe to get his wrestling career started, uh, what Japan and uh, the Japanese buzzsaw Tajiri did for his career. He was Tajiri's top rival uh, in his promotion uh, a few years ago. Uh, Mike also started wrestling in Finland. He started the whole wrestling business in Finland, basically, and in most of uh, Europe. He's well, well known, like I said, uh, and he's a promoter now and uh, launching Slam Wrestling in Finland. He'll tell us all about the upcoming mega launch event in Helsinki on March 22nd and what it's like to be the promoter of the show. Uh, if you live in Finland, go check out a mega launch. Uh, you must see it in Helsinki on March 22nd. But let's get started with the most popular wrestler that you've never heard of, but you will by the time uh, we're done here. All the way from Helsinki, Finland, my fellow Canadian by way of Finland, it's the Rebel Starbuck. Right here on Talk is Jericho. Hey, Fabio Ferrari, I heard you say that we're a bunch of losers in Finland because we lost the war. I heard you say that our Formula One drivers suck. And I heard you say that you think that we're a bunch of losers that got no heart and got no soul. Well, I got news for you, buddy. This is the Rebel Starbuck talking to you. And I'm telling you that when you come to Finland on the 22nd of March for Slam Wrestling Finland Mega Launch, you're going to step into the ring against the pioneer of Finnish professional wrestling. I'm going to show you what Finnish Sisu is all about. And besides, you guys in Italy, you live with your mothers, which is pretty damn pathetic. Because we in Finland, we as grown men, we don't live with our moms. Actually here, we got something called Boom Boom. Okay, so um, I've been wrestling for a long time, as everyone knows. Uh, close to 30 years now, believe it or not. And... I have seen and met most of the guys around the world with uh, worldwide influence and everybody had an interesting start and a different way of getting into things. But today uh, it's very interesting for me because uh, rebel Starbuck is here. Uh, Mike Majalati, who um, is probably, and I'm saying this with utmost respect, Mike, and you can tell me if you agree with this, the most well-traveled, most well-known wrestler that nobody really knows in North America. <laughs> That's actually funny. You know, well, the thing is that, I mean, with the internet now blowing in everything wide open, it's, uh, if people follow the wrestling business, it seems like they follow it pretty selectively. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is that, yeah, I mean, I've been all around the world. It's, uh, I mean, this, this spring now, like next month, it'll be 22 countries, four continents, you know, and I've, I've headlined pretty much most places I've been. I've been a top guy for the companies I've worked for. I've been a champion here, there, and everywhere. But, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird that, like, people don't know. They, they don't follow the European scene maybe over in America and stuff. And I don't know what to tell you. I mean, not my problem, I guess, but yeah. it would be nice if people knew. Well, no, but like I said, I mean, the, there are certain guys like that. I mean, I was pretty much like that until I broke into the States you know, probably in probably 96, I think probably when I got to WCW, but the, the, I think a lot of people, like you said, very selective, don't understand that there's a whole scene outside of North America and Japan that's situated mostly in Europe. And 
your, your book that you just released, Battleground Valhalla, explains it all. But but basically, you're the guy who brought pro wrestling into the Nordic countries of Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, those type of places. Well, the thing is, you know, there were some guys that were like trying to get stuff off, you know, up and running off the ground. It was very much in its, uh, how could you say, its infancy. Right. Um, uh, still back in, let's say, the early part of the 2000s. It had been around in Norway, I guess, like for about a year before that, let's say 2002-ish, or I think it was that they started there. And But um, like there were, it was pretty much like it's virgin territory up here, you know? Uh, this part of the, the ass end of the world, I call it, you mm-hmm. know, we're up the literal Timbuktu of, of the globe. And uh, like for anything to happen up here is, is really a rather significant. I think that's one of the main things that made me a star in Japan is that Tajiri, he brought me over to Japan and he marketed me as, you know, this guy from an exotic country that like nobody would expect pro wrestling to come from. And that was the catch. That was the thing that, like, people caught on to. So, what? There's wrestling in Finland, the home of Santa Claus? Well, yeah, there is. Well, and the thing is, too, like, like wrestling in WWE for almost 20 years, we went to Finland one time, and, and you were there. I remember seeing you there. And uh-huh. never been to Denmark, never been to Sweden, never been to Norway. And there might have been a few of those shows, a few few shows in those countries here and there. But even WWE is not even very well known or very well traveled in those countries. Well, the thing is, it's really hard because, like, I'll tell you what, right now, on May 10th of this year, SmackDown is coming to Helsinki again after a 10-year absence. Wow. Yeah, and Live Nation uh, got a hold of WWE, and they said, "Listen, you know, uh, we got to market this thing because they, they, all they got here is YouTube and the network, right? So they they're not on TV. They haven't been on TV for TV for ten years, like on any public access channels. I commentated WWE on Eurosport. That's a television channel here. It's mm-hmm. like a pay TV channel from night uh, from two thousand nine all the way to two thousand fifteen. So it was a six year run, and I was the main commentator for that." That was pay TV, though. But now they haven't been on national television, like free television, for 10 years. Now they're coming back, and they got a hold of me, and they said, listen, we'd like you to be, like, the special guest ambassador for this whole thing. Because, like, in the country of Finland, if anybody has anything to say about pro wrestling, they know that Starbucks is an, a, a very integral part of that. I'm Like, it's my, my name is synonymous with pro wrestling in this country. Mm-hmm. So – they got a hold of me, and I guess because I know like Dave Finley and I know uh, Robbie Brookside and I know Steve Carino, I you know I dropped some names and I said, well, just ask these guys for a reference, and you know if if they're cool with it, if they want to go with it, then yeah, I'm up for it, right? And uh, they got a hold of me. They said, yeah, they got the green light from WWE, and uh, so now they're coming back, and their their marketing department called me from the UK. And this was like over a week ago, and they said, listen, we're having like real troubles with the Nordics like all of the Nordics, uh, and we can't seem to crack that market. Do you, like, what would you give us, like, as a, like, as advice? Who should we talk to? Like, how should we market it? How should we pitch it to these different channels and different companies? And I gave them my two pieces, you know, my two cents worth, and I told them what I thought they should do, and then they came. They were here on Tuesday and uh, made their pitches, so let's see what happens. 
Well, I mean, and, and that's another thing too. And, and and also before we continue forward, and we'll get into this, uh, you started in Calgary where I started, so you have kind of really done a great job at being a jack of all trades. And it's something you talk about in your book, and it's something that even Vince McMahon taught me years ago. Uh, there's no job too big or too small, uh, whether it's wrestling or whatever it is you're doing. And even he'd make a big point of like picking up a piece of garbage on the floor in front of everybody during a team meeting and going, no job too big or too small. And the more jobs you learn, the more uh, diversity and more worth that you have. And you also do that in wrestling as well from, like you mentioned, wrestling, commentating, voiceover work for the ads for your shows, promoting, training. You've done a little bit of all those things. Yeah, booking. Yeah, Booking as absolutely. well, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing is that it's like I've often said that pro wrestling, I mean, you know, I guess you, if you want to consider it as a sport, but, you know, for me it is, right? I mean, what I do in the ring, at least it feels like it's, you know, I'm, I'm beating myself to death in there and I'm, hopefully beating the other guy too. But anyway, the, the point being that, that uh, I mean, you got to have that professional pride, right? So you want I mean, and the thing is that I've never loved any other sport. I, I don't give a two, I don't give a rat's ass about MMA. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I commentate. I've commentated MMA before, and I've also been a ring announcer for MMA, for MMA. I've been a ring announcer for boxing, and I do the ring announcing even now in in, in uh, Estonia for the uh, for the boxing there. And the thing is that it's just a job, right? That's mm. all it is. It's not a passion. It's I have a voice, and I utilize, I parlay that voice to make money. But uh, for me, pro wrestling has been my wife, my mistress, my bitch since day one. It's since day one, man. And, and for me, that's the only thing that I ever cared about, which is why now at the age of 45, I find myself starting my own wrestling company from scratch. Right, right, right. And, and we talked about that. You have your first match, I guess your first your first event, Slam Wrestling, the mega yeah, launch. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually my second event. The first event was for the company that built my ring because my ring is sponsored, man. I had a metal industry company. I have a friend there who's one of the foremen, and they sponsored my ring 100%. And, uh, and for them, I did the first show. I brought in James Mason from the UK. I brought in uh, Natalia Markova from Russia, uh, one girl called Helena Sixth from Sweden, and some other local Finnish guys. And we put on a show for their – they call them little Christmas parties. It's like a pre-Christmas party. All the companies do them here. And for this year, for, for this company called PowerTech Group, uh, we did this little Christmas party, and we had five wrestling matches on the show, and, and that was like the maiden voyage. But this now, the mega launch event for Slam Wrestling Finland, 22nd of March in Helsinki at this place called The Circus. It's like a huge nightclub downtown, holds about 1,700, I believe. Um, is That's the official like media mega launch. Like That's where I put my name on the map in front of the Finnish media, in front of the country. So how is it for you? Like, I know for me doing, doing, uh, the rock and wrestling rage of the cruise. And the last thing I ever wanted to be was a promoter. Uh, cause now, you know, I'm dealing with so-and-so wants more money. This guy wants this, that guy wants that. And, and, you know, it's my project, it's my baby. So I have to kind of get into those things. Um, you've been doing this a long time as have I and promoters, are the one thing that promotions I never thought I'd really want to do. How, how do you like being on that side of the coin? Well, you know what? The thing is that I ran the the uh, local wrestling business in Finland uh, as a sports club entity that's like nonprofit organization where it's like, you know, 
but I ran it for nine years. And and the thing is that I, I was the guy that, you know, did all the dealings and brought in the foreign talent and hooked everybody up and did the booking and all this crap. And the thing is that uh, during that time, it's like, you know, I, I did my tour of duty in, in that area. But the thing is that because it was a nonprofit organization, I wasn't able to like turn it into a business. And the thing is that I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm wise in hindsight that I understand the reasons now why I couldn't do it, which is there are things that I can fix now with my own company, Slam Wrestling Finland. But that said, I mean, at the age of 45, I mean, you're you're 48, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the age of 45, I look at myself and, you know, none of us are immortal. None of us are going to like, you know, just we're not going to lace the boots up forever. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I don't my heart doesn't burn for any other like trade like at this level. I mean, I still want to be part of wrestling because it's I breathe this. It's it's like it's been part of me since I was young. And uh, that's where like you think of how can you parlay your talent? I remember this Hall of Fame speech like a few years ago when they inducted that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger into the WWE Hall of Fame and then they brought Triple H into that Arnold Sports Hall of Fame. Right. And they did these pieces with Michael Cole. And I remember that Arnold said when he's talking about Triple H that, you know, and he's and he was like pretty much cross referencing himself when he was talking. He was saying that, like, what do you do with your celebrity status? You know, once you achieve a certain level of celebrity, what is it that you do with that? Because the thing is, you have an opportunity to 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 make that thing grow and to actually uh, like expand your borders, so to speak, so that that you could actually go and make like a further living or more money or whatever down the line by branching off and maybe like ricocheting into a different direction, maybe a direction that you didn't like foresee previously like with you it's been like you've you've done the books so you're an author you're a podcast guy right so you run your own podcast you've been on broadway you've done this stuff you know and 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 the tv series and stuff like that so you've done that exact same thing too yeah you know and and, and like i said and and you know to kind of go back here and i say this i remember black magic uh, norman smiley a good friend of mine he now works in the in the wpc and I, i helped him get a gig in there because back in the day when it was my chance to make a name for myself in Mexico, he went above and beyond to do that. And we had a conversation a couple of years ago where he was laughing. He said, you know, if I, if you would have ever told me at that point in time that this guy right here, Corazon de Leon, was going to be a world champion and, you know, WrestleMania headliner and all this other stuff, I would have went, this guy? Him? Really? That's how I feel about you and in the best possible way. Like, I am really proud of all that you've done because when I first saw you in Calgary as the ring announcer guy, and here you are yeah. now, you know, 25 years later doing all the things that you've done, it just goes to show when you have the perseverance and the wherewithal and the gumption is such a 1920s word, but you really went for it. You know, all the stuff, you know, we'll talk about your bands that you're in as well, all the rock yeah. and roll stuff. I mean, that takes a lot of work. And I think because I haven't seen you a lo- in a long time, when I started hearing reports of Rebel Starbuck wins the Smash Championship in Japan from Tajiri and Rebel Starbuck beats, you know, uh, uh, Michael Kovac or all these different guys that I know. I was like, wow, yeah. he, he really did it. And that, that's really, really cool to me, man, because there's not a lot of guys that you meet when you're first starting out who actually go the distance. Well, the thing is, you know, you're a man of faith, as am I, right? Right. You know, we believe in the good Lord upstairs and and in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, the thing is that I I give all the credit in the world to the fact that without 
the blessing of God Almighty and the fact that, you know, the Lord opens up doors for you. He opens up opportunity. And that's the one thing that the world at large doesn't understand, that everybody thinks about money, 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 money. And it's not about money as a vehicle. It's not, it's an, it's a means to an end. And the thing is what God does in your life is when you hand your life over to the good Lord above is, is that he becomes a manager of your life in a way that he ordains your steps before you even take them. And that said, what I felt in my life, at least, is that when you got the blessing of God on you, man, anything is possible. Because if God's for you, nobody can be against you. It's, 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 it's biblical right. wisdom, and it holds itself to be true. You've seen it in your life. I know that for a fact. You know, and I'm, I'm so happy to, Chris, honestly, to see your success, like not just in WWE and in Japan now and, and like with AEW starting up and stuff. I mean, I, as a friend, as an old friend, we used to go to the gym together sometimes. We used to listen to the, you know, the heavy music and shit like that. And it's, you know, the good memories. But I'm happy for you. I'm honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I'm not kissing your ass for any reason. I, I'm just saying that I'm honestly happy that you've gone out there and done all this stuff because the thing is that you understand the significance of the serendipity and the blessing of the good Lord above. You mentioned being old friends and meeting up so many years ago in Calgary. Let's talk about that. Like I know you were in Calgary and I'll just give you a little background. You, you are uh, basically Son of, of, of Finnish immigrants to Canada, hence the Finland connection. You are, you know, a Finn, a Finn Canadian, and yep. you end up in Calgary. And the first time I remember you was as a ring announcer. Kind of tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the scene in Calgary, kind of on the periphery, and how you were able to kind of get your start in your career uh, in the same area that I did. Actually, you remember wrong. You remember the first time we met? It was, I think, Etobicoke. Really. It's Where? Obacoke, Alberta. Yeah, you were on this. You were doing a tag team match. I think you were in the main event. But anyway, I forget who, who you're tagging with and who you're up against. But I think, was it promoted by Steve Gillespie and Randy Rudd? I think it was. But weren't you weren't you the ring announcer for that? No, I was the I was the guy with the I, I was the uh, the cameraman with the uh, I actually <laughs> I had gone to art college. <laughs> I'd gone to art college and I had to take a camera course and. I had a friend there that I brought with me who was actually, he had more experience as like a lensman. But then I just took my camera that I had bought from, you know, for the school course and at a, the Alberta College of Art. I brought it with me. I just said that I was a, I was a camera, uh, you know, a, a photographer. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, so I was at ringside. I didn't know jack shit about photography, but I was taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't Etobicoke in Ontario, but it was something like Rimby or, or someplace in Calgary, like kind of a, a little ranch town. Outside, outside of Calgary. Yeah, it was, it was outside of Calgary. Like, I remember it was me, yeah. me and somebody, it was a tag team match. Uh, yeah. Ken Johnson, the the illustrious, the guy who needed a name uh, name change from the boring Ken Smith to more of a show business name, so he changed it to Ken Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> so he started just as a photographer to kind of get yeah. involved in the scene, right? Yeah, I just pitched myself. I think it was either to Ed Langley or Steve Gillespie, but I pitched myself as a photographer. I'm gonna, you know, come and shoot the show, and I think my cat, my thing, I think my pictures didn't turn out. <laughs> well that was back in the day when you had to take them and then take them to the drugstore after and uh yeah, yeah. You, you never knew what you had but i think did you tell me that you went to Stu Hart's door like oh hell yeah i mean i was a persistent son of a bitch because the thing is that like i was thinking well i'll give you a few stories here but nonetheless i i mean i called up Stu Hart. i got a hold of his number somewhere i called him up 
and I introduced myself. I said, I'm an artist, right? Because, you know, I can draw, right? So I right, can, you're a great I'm artist. A artist, yeah. So I said, that I'm an artist, right? And he said, eh, we're all artists. <laughs> were, you, were you trying and, to do, uh, get, try and paint a picture of him or something? Or you just wanted to? No, I was thinking, well, I, I was thinking, what's my angle to get in the wrestling business, right? I mean, like, yeah. what are you going to tell somebody? You're 18, 19 years old looking to get in the business. I mean, how the hell are you going to get in? Right. So I was, I was telling people I was an artist. Maybe I can draw pictures or whatever of, of the wrestlers for the weekly programs or something or draw a portrait here or there or whatever, you know? Right. I'm just thinking, what's my angle? What? Why should anybody give a flying? But <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, yeah, that was, I told Stu, well, anyway, Stu, yeah, come on down to the house. So I came down to the house. I sat at his kitchen table for a couple of hours there. He got up out of his chair towards the end. And he said, eh, let me show you a sleeper holding. Got behind me and locked the sleeper on me. Uh, good thing I turned my head to the side. Otherwise he would have choked out. And just so people know, this is Stu Hart probably at, I'd say, late 60s. Yeah, I don't know how old he was, but this would have been the year 1992. Right. So, he, yeah, he probably was early 70s at this point. Still wanting to stretch you. Oh, yeah. He was, yeah, he was ambitious. I remember, yeah, I got a hold of, uh, what was his name there? Tokyo Joe Daigo. Yeah. I got a hold of Tokyo Joe and... I called him up and trying to get into the business through like, you know, just I was scouring for numbers, man. I was like, you couldn't stop me. I mean, I, I was, I was going to get through somehow. And, and I called up Joe and I was like, you know, uh, introduced myself as an artist. Yeah. This, that, and the other thing he says, Hey, give me a call after a year. Well, I put it down on my calendar for a year. Exactly. <laughs> for that day. I, <laughs> I gave him a call after one year I introduced, but he didn't remember who I was. I reminded him, he said, off <laughs> <laughs> well what were you supposed to do though like were you trying to get tokyo joe, joe to train you yeah i was uh, i'm just thinking of like how to get like into the business get to know some guys in the business and maybe that way you know just worm my way you know work my my way in somehow i i mean i would have figured it out eventually but i mean yeah it's i, I got a hold of les thornton i got you know i just uh I walked up to Les Thornton's house, introduced myself, and he let me in. And uh, we were watching American football downstairs and watching a bit of WCW, which he called, by the way, Gaga. He couldn't stand it. He was watching Marcus <laughs> Alexander Bagwell, and he was, like, very critical of what he saw. He's like, you want to see a real pro wrestling? Watch me and Tony Charles. Right. So you're, you're, yeah. the end game, though, was always to, to become a wrestler. That's what you wanted to do. Well, you know what? I come from a very uh, meager family is in, in terms of my father is a Pentecostal minister of Finnish immigrant churches in Canada. That was my upbringing, right? I was born in 73. My, my, my parents moved to Canada in 72 from Finland. Um, and we were always like, not just middle class, but lower middle class. Right. We were like scrounging to survive. There were times when there wasn't an even, even enough like food in the house. My parents never let me know, but I come from a very like rather poor family in that way um so i kicked and scratched for every nickel and nickel and dime that i ever made uh and i i hustled i busted my ass i never thought i'd have money mm. enough money to get like trained for wrestling i just wanted to be part of the business i just wanted to get in because i love wrestling right so uh eventually well then i yeah i ended up getting in and lance storm was the first guy that like offered to train me because me and Lance became training partners in Calgary at this place called the gym. I mean, as generic <laughs> as it sounds, it was the gym. And for one year, Lance and me were training partners three times a week. We'd go there and, uh, and, 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 you know, hustle ass for about an hour and a half. 
And one day Lance says to me, he says, listen, I, I, I see the, the passion that you have for pro wrestling. And if you want, I'll train. And Lance never asked for a penny of my money, man. Wow, yeah. And, and he trained me out of friendship. And it's funny that like nowadays, I even asked Lance to do an insert for my book when I wrote it a couple of years ago. You know, like I finished it a couple of years ago. It was put out in May of 2017. Right. And uh, anyway, the point being that, that Lance said that he just doesn't remember enough of our friendship to write anything, which I thought really, it was rather, rather surprising. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I remember crystal clear. I mean, I'll, I'll be indebted to Lance for the rest of my life because the thing is, Ed Langley, the promoter back then, hated my guts. You know, Ed, you know, you remember Ed rather well. Sure. And Ed just disliked me with a passion. I don't know what his problem was, but he disliked me with a passion. And uh, Carl Moffat ended up taking the book for a while, and then he brought me back. And then once he left, Ed, he just didn't want me there. Anyway, uh, Lance, I said to Lance, so, so if you're, if, if he said that I've got this kid coming from Australia, he needs a training partner. If you want, I'll train you. So you'd be the training partner for this kid from Australia. So, okay, yeah, of course I'll do it. Yeah, more than happy. And I said, there's only one problem. Ed Langley hates my guts. And what if Ed says no? Because it was at the Hart Brothers uh, Wrestling School, so to speak, on the off-season at the the Victoria Park Civic Center is where the ring was set up permanently. So, And and Lance said that if Ed doesn't want you, I won't do it. Hmm. Which I thought was like, that's real friendship. I mean, that that, that proved like it back then. I mean, we were tight. You know, I mean, it's like I I still appreciate that to to this day. And the thing is that, yeah, so Lance trained me out of the goodness of his heart as a friend, and, and uh, Carl Moffat trained uh, the green guys like once a week, I think it was like Wednesday nights or something, and he uh, just took the guys that needed more like ring time and whatnot, and the you know the young guys into the ring and, and ran them through what they needed to be run through. So that, that was my start in the wrestling business after, like, you know, starting as a ring announcer in the, the fall of 92. Tell us about your uh, first match that you ever had. Yeah, it was me and Lance, January 7th, 1994. And uh, I was exactly seven minutes on the nose, man. Lance picked me up, dropped me with a, a power bomb, and jackknife pinned me. You know, so he floated over with a jackknife and pinned me with a bridge. One, two, three. And the thing is, the boys in the back, they said that they clapped it up. They said that was the second best match on the card, man. It was you and Beef Wellington in the, in the main event, by the way. Oh, wow. Night. Yeah, yeah. And you guys had the best match. We had the second best match. So, I mean, I was more than taken with that uh, adulation and applause. Who's, uh, who's, whose boots and tights were you wearing? Yeah, it was your brother. You, you, you gave me my first pair of wrestling boots, your a pair of your old black ones. And, uh, then you lent me a pair of your old sudden impact. I said, orange and white. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Cause you, you know, you do this for such a long time and it's one of those things that, that, uh, that Ronnie James Dio told me, he goes, always give people their moment. Cause you might not remember it, but they'll never forget it. Like I have no recollection. I vaguely, vaguely remember giving you my boots. Now that you say it, and they were the first pair of boots I ever had, like made of black leather, not not patent, just normal black leather. And then those tights, and I, I had no idea that I lent you the tights until I was reading your book and I saw you saw those pictures of your first match, and I was like, "Well, that's so funny." You forget that stuff, you know. Well, the thing is, it's like you won't remember this either. But you remember, like when you, before you went to Smoky Mountain, yeah, you were you were actually Lance had gone to uh, Otto Wants to wrestle in Germany and in Austria for a bit there in 93. Yeah. But while he was there, he got a hold of me because, we, like I said, we were friends. And he said, that, can you get a hold of Jim Cornette for me? He was interested in going to Smoky Mountain, getting his way into America, right? Right. 
And I worked out Jim Cornette's number. I called up Jim Cornette. I, Hello, my name is Mike. I'm calling on behalf of Lance Storm. He's in he's he's in Austria and in Germany right now for Peter <laughs> Williams. And uh, yeah, and Otto Wands and and then yeah, the corny says to me, well yeah, just have him send over a promo pack and blah blah blah. Then you you won't remember this, but. You got a you got wind that I had been in contact with Corny on behalf of Lance. You got a hold of me. You called me up and said, "Hey, can you give me Corny's number too?" Wow, that was how you got your hookup with Corny, brother. That is so funny, man. That's, That's not even in your book. That's not even in your lion's tail. I'm so fucking sour about that. You said that. Okay, so now let's put it on the record uh, for everybody for the world to see. Probably more people will listen to this than read that book. So it was <laughs> it was Mike who uh, officially hooked me up with Jim Cornette. And uh, got me into Smoky Mountain because I'd forgotten about that because I'd sent something to Jim via your contact. And when yeah, Jim yeah. called me back, I think Jim called Lance and said, I got this other guy, Chris Jericho. Do you know him? I want to make you guys a team. And that's how I got to Jimmy was th- from you, which, of course, like you said, no, no memory of that at, at all. So I will definitely give you full credit on the record 25 years later that it was Mike Majolotti that uh, hooked me up with Jim Cornette. So th- thank you very much. Hallelujah. <laughs> so how did you how did you end up in Europe? You're talking about kind of being on the small time indies in Canada, uh, and yeah. then and then going to Europe and kind of starting, you know, starting your career over there. Well, I'll tell you what, it was uh, it was June of 1996. There was a terrible recession in eastern Canada. So I mean the economy was just crap. And before you get into tell, tell me the job that you had. What was the job? Screwing water bottle caps on a water bottle? No, that was in Calgary. I was doing, yeah, I was working for uh, Alberta Bottled Water. I was driving like distilled water and spring water all around town, but different companies. It was actually, you know, in 1992, it was the summer of 92. And the, my, my break, the, the, the person that facilitated my break into the wrestling business was Abu Wizal, who was one of the old uh, yeah. managers of Stampede Wrestling for Karachi Vice, right? Right. And uh, so I delivered bottled water one like one day to his company. It was a taxi company. He had these pictures, these black and white photos on the wall of Stampede wrestlers. And I asked him, why do you have pictures on the wall of like wrestlers? And he said, well, I used to be a manager for Stu Hart Stampede wrestlers. I said, what was your name? He said, Abu Wizal. And I said, oh. <laughs> I, and, I, and I said, that like, well, is there any wrestling right now in Calgary? Is there any company running? He says, no, but there's one starting up this fall if you want. And it was for Steve DeSalvo. Right. Right. And Steve, Steve Strong, Steve DeSalvo was running a, a realtor. Or he was a realtor at that time in Calgary. And he was working at this realty office. This is a funny story, too, because I got a hold of Steve DeSalvo. So Abu Yassal gives me his his uh, number and I call him up, I introduce myself. And and then I show up at his realty office. Right. And he it's like he's pretty shocked to see that I show up. First of all, <laughs> I got this briefcase in my hand. I got this briefcase. It's full of my artwork. <laughs> and 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 uh i'm sitting there he sees me it's okay i wait it's after hours the shop is closed man it's like the office is closed down steve DeSalvo is sitting in his office everybody else has gone home he doesn't want to take me <laughs> <laughs> and i refuse to leave so i'm sitting there until he actually you know asks me to come into his office. Okay, what you got? <laughs> and and then I walk in, I make my pitch. Yeah, I'm Mike. I, I do, you know, I'm an artist. I'm looking to get in the wrestling business. I heard you're starting a new company. This, that, and the other thing, I can draw pictures of the wrestlers for your weekly programs and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? 
he didn't see that as being the pitch, but he took a chance on a hardcore mark. And what he heard was my voice. Mm. And as, as God has, has gifted me with a good voice from, you know, from my youth onward, he heard my voice. He said, okay, well, we'll make you a ring announcer. And, and when he said ring announcer, then, you know, the first Rocky Mountain Pro TV taping that fall, they had some local Calgarian, uh, was it some actor, TV actor come in to do like the, uh, the color commentary with, I forget who else was doing I think, yeah, Steve DeSalvo himself was doing the, the, the commentary. And this, this actor was doing, I guess, like guest commentary, color, whatever he was doing. He didn't know that shit. He was, he was terrible. He was like, he was thinking up the joint and DeSalvo, like he lost his cool in the middle of the broadcast, in the middle of the, you know, the, the run of the mill. And he, and he, he gets rid of this guy in the middle of the thing and he he waves me over it come here and then he puts me to uh commentate for the rest of the show and that was my first show where i was ring announcer and first show as a color commentator and that got you involved in there and i was talking on top of him the whole time <laughs> but at least you got that voice right yeah steve yeah. DeSalvo always had the good lines you know stand up jim davies oh you are standing um, so tell us how, how you ended up in Europe then and kind of starting the scene over there. Well, the thing is that in, in 96, like I said, there was a shit recession, a real terrible recession in, in Canada, especially Eastern Canada. I guess Western Canada with the oil and stuff like that was better, but Eastern Canada, Ontario was the grizzling shits. And, and the thing is that my father, like I said, is a Pentecostal minister. So the thing is that my father was pastoring a church in, in uh, Sudbury, Ontario at the time. I had moved back in early 1994 after my first match against Lance in Calgary. I'd, I'd moved back to uh, back home because uh, I decided to, to like take take this course in um, was it uh, it's like a a correspondence course in, in graphic arts and shit like that. And anyway, the thing is that it was you know I was barely surviving in Calgary. Right. I was working at this bottled water company. I literally remember this is like brutal. I put the last $5 in my bank account into the gas tank just to get to work Right. on payday. Cause I got paid on the, was it the first or the last day of the month? And, and also on the 15th. So every two weeks. And the thing is that I literally put, I had maybe like $6 and I put like five out of $6 out of my bank account. I had no money in my wallet into the bank, into my uh, gas tank just to get to work. And it's like, you can't live like that forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. So then I figured, okay, like screw this. So I left Calgary, went back home for a bit. I figured I'd just go back and live with my parents for just a bit and then, you know, move on with my life. But so I moved back in early 94 and I was there, you know, for a couple of years. And uh, then I was working in the Indies and I was taking these correspondence courses uh, and, and uh, whatnot. And then my father, as a minister, he got this stomach bacteria. It's like a colic or colia or whatever i forget what it's called but anyway this bacteria um in florida he was at this like winter conference thing in florida and he got he got nailed with some kind of bacteria there and it screwed up his stomach and his system so that he'd have like he'd he'd have the runs for like one year straight and it you know if you've ever had the runs for any experience extended period of time you know that it drains your body like you you just you dry up right and he had that for every day of the week, 52 weeks a year for a year. Hmm. And he just couldn't, the doctors couldn't find a, a cure. They couldn't find out was like how to get this thing under control. 
my father burnt out, like he just burned out in his work as a pastor. He, he was working six days a week. One day a week, I think it was a Tuesday, he'd go out and just do some fishing or some hunting. Otherwise, he was like tied to the church for six days a week. And he, he just burned out. And he said that I'm, I'm going to go, go to Canada with my mom. You know, he's going to move for like, let's say, a half a year to a year, just try to recoup and have the doctors here try to figure out what, what was wrong with him. And then I, I thought to myself with the recession, well, I was working part time as this bakery delivery driver like driving these like different bakery goods around town in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada to, uh, to different shops and whatnot, right? Grocery stores and uh, convenience stores and whatnot. And anyway, I was making part-time pay and, and I figured, well, I was living at home still. So I was, I wasn't get I wasn't paying like rent, but if I would have had to pay rent on a part-time pay, I wouldn't be able to cut the bills. So I thought, well, what if I leave for Finland too? Because there, it wasn't like there were jobs on every street corner. Because this was the recession, so I left and, and, and went with my parents to Canada in June of '96. Then I uh, started my own business in October '96. So I was a graphic artist. I started like as an illustrator, my own graphic arts business, and then I just suddenly I, I realized I'm kind of stuck here. Mm-hmm. And then come 2003. In 2002, SmackDown got licensed to finish television. There's this co- a channel called Sub TV, and uh, they had Conan O'Brien and SmackDown. They were their top two programs on free national television, and uh, SmackDown got like hugely popular at that time. Right. So uh, in 2002, they came to Hartwall Arena in Helsinki. They damn near sold the place out. They had the main event was uh, was it Rey Mysterio and uh, Edge against. Chris Benoit and uh, Kurt Angle. And uh, anyway, that's when I realized you had about 10,000 people there. You can do some business here, man. Mm -hmm. Right? You got 10,000 people. Seems like people actually care about pro wrestling. And then I had this guy I got a hold of. His his name was Patrick Pesola. And he's a Finnish guy. And he was like a kid of rich parents. And he had this ambition of being the Vince McMahon of, of, of Scandinavia. And anyway, he started, we, I pitched him the idea of, of this company called Valhalla Pro Wrestling. And that's in 2003, we started that. I was the booker and the matchmaker. I was the trainer. He was the promoter. He was the money man. But little did I know, he put everything on credit. That's so he ran, <laughs> yeah, he ran himself bankrupt in like five months. By the end of the year, 2003, he was completely bankrupt. He was... He was his name was on the blacklist of businesses on the public register here in Finland. So when you were doing your shows in Finland and starting, um, were people coming? Because you mentioned you had ten thousand people for the WWE shows. Was the independent scene? I mean, it's always hard at, at the start. But were there guys that wanted to be wrestlers that were any good? And were there people coming to see the shows? Well, the first show we ran was this uh, event called Culture Shock, and it was at uh, this the House of Culture in Helsinki. So we brought in Sabu against Shane Douglas on top. We had Kid Cash against AJ Styles for the TNA World Championship, NWA World Championship, two out of three falls on that show. We had Sonny Siaki here. We had some guys from Norway, uh, you know, and and a couple of Finnish guys that were like raw as green grass. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like it got a really good reception because we had this one guy, his name was Jussi Heikkila. He was the PR guy for that. And this Patrick Pesola, the promoter, 
he had hired him to do the PR, so public relations and do the media stuff. And, and he got a fair bit of buzz going on. So I think we had about maybe 400, 500 people there that night, uh-huh. which was a pretty good start for an indie. It was a good start. And, and it was a TV production. We actually had like local television and we had it on uh, on a sports channel here in Finland, the broadcast of it with a couple of commentators didn't know anything about anything, but they were terrible. But anyway, uh, then what happened was right after that show, he was in the black about 10,000 euro. Mm-hmm. So, and then, well, he had a show the next month called Baltic Brawl at even a bigger arena, which is the one where WWE is going to be running now May 10th here in Helsinki called the old Helsinki Ice Hall. And it, it holds 8,000 people. And he would have needed 5,000 tickets sold to break even. Wow, right, right. Yeah, so he brings in Shane Douglas. He brings in this Johnny Storm. He brings in the UK Pitbulls. He's got he's got some some people on the card, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and he he what he didn't do is he didn't pay his PR guy from the last gig. So then this Yossi Hankula guy who did the PR and the, uh, and the media, he refused to do anything. So... Patrick ran these ads like the bus stops all around the, uh, the, the the southern area of Finland. It cost for one week 44,000 euros for one week of advertising. Wow, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so that you understand why they would have, would have had to draw like 5,000 sure, people of course. just to break even. Anyway, so the thing is that – but he like screwed up in the sense that he should have paid off the most important people that would have facilitated uh, like public awareness for the event – and he refused to pay his PR guy. So this guy did nothing for the second event one month later. And it flushed, man. We had at 8,000 seats. We had 1,500. Which isn't a bad crowd for an indie show. No, but if you consider that just the ad run for the bus stops for one week was 44,000, I'd say that's a catastrophe. Of course. And that's always the typical story about a first time promoter in thinking if you just put a couple of posters on the wall that you're going to sell out a venue. And we both know that's not the case. Even with the big names that you had, it still doesn't make a difference because you're trying to break into the market and explain to people and show people what exactly pro wrestling really is. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And and the thing is that, you know, by, by the way, on that show, you remember in WCW, you, you remember this guy called, uh, Alan Funk. Yeah. Alan was on that show. He damn near died here in Helsinki, man. Sonny Siaki gave him a split-legged moonsault in the opener out of the corner. Mm-hmm. He came down with his knee, knee first on his orbital rim. He Oof. crushed his face. He was, I mean, there was blood spurting out of his eyes, out of his ears, out of his nose, out of his mouth. He was knocked completely near, damn near senseless. He walked his way out of the ring, back to the dressing room. By the time I was on crutches by uh, at that time because I had broken my leg in Oslo, Norway, in this match. I was still the Booker, but still I hobbled backstage. I got there. The guy was hyperventilating. There's blood just pumping out, like just like a piston, pumping air into his body, shooting blood out of his face, and he damn near died here in Helsinki that, was that night. Qu- his name was Kwiwi, right? Kwiwi, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's brutal, man. When you get those injuries in a foreign country, no less. Um, oh yeah, and they, and they put him in the hospital. They restructure his face with metal discs and all that, like what they did to Brutus Beefcake. Same thing. Wow, I mean, that's you never want to see that happen to anybody at any wrestling show. Meilahden oma poika Nikko Maestro kohtaa the Rebel Starbuckin. 
30 minuutin Iron Man-ottelussa. Starbuck, sä poisit mut haasteen listalta, erotit mut F-Surfacing Omega Shown jälkeen, mutta nyt sä et pääse enää pakoon. Kävin nuorena katsomassa FCA Wrestlingin showta kisahallissa ja halusin olla seuraava Starbuck. Mutta nyt tajusin, että voin olla jotain isompaa, sillä voin olla ensimmäinen Mikko Maestro. Mikko Maestro, talvisota 13. Ja sä sanot, että sinä haluat ylittää sinun sankarisi. Sinä haluat, että sinusta tulee ensimmäinen Mikko Maestro, to be the man you have got to beat the man. What was the kind of the, the peak, or maybe it's now, of wrestling in Finland? Because, you know, we're talking before, actually, from native Finns. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Tony Holm. It was like Ludwig Borga. Was the, yeah, was like the big yeah. Finnish star. But then you're saying when you come into Finland and start making a name for yourself, so you become synonymous with pro wrestling. Did that yeah. help crowds? Like, what's the status of independent Finnish wrestling to this day? Well, the thing is, I think that like for the longest time, I ran this company. I actually, it's my brainchild called FCF Wrestling. It's called it, well, it's, it's like short for Fight Club Finland, which is a name that I kind of took from Brad Pitt's uh, Fight Club movie back in '99. But anyway, the thing is that like. Um, that's the sports club entity here in Finland. So like that's that I ran, I was, uh, the, the main booker and the boss of that from 2006 to about like about a couple of years ago. And, um, during that time, like I said, because it's a nonprofit organization, it was pretty grassroots in the way that like we try to, you know, we try to organize shows to the extent that we advertise what we thought was sufficient advertising Little did we know that the money that we were putting into ad- advertising was not sufficient at all. And now with my slam wrestling, I realize how much money I got to put just into the advertising. It's a strong, it's crazy. It's like, a, it's like handing over money, like hand over fist. It's crazy. Right, it's, sure, it's, of it's, course. It's, 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 it's recalculous. So, <laughs> so the thing is that, um, we never did that level that that amount of advertising with that fcf operation so crowds at best were around at best around 500 people mm-hmm. which which is which is okay but the thing is that we never broke into the mainstream also because public awareness we still had people saying oh is there wrestling in finland you know it's like the people don't even know which is you know strange because we had it here since 2003 now for 16 years we have pro wrestling in this country and there's still people in Helsinki who don't know right which pro- which proves that the marketing has not worked and and uh the money has not you know been been sufficient for the marketing so now with my slam wrestling what I'm doing is that I'm outsourcing my PR I'm paying out the ass for like different services but it's it's an investment that i have to make to get this thing off the ground and put it into everybody's mind and in everybody's mouth what is slam wrestling finland mm-hmm. right so it's like that's that initial investment you got to make to make your name you got to spend money to make money well it's hard too um when you are trying to you know break a sport or break a uh an activity or i guess a, a show business you know genre when people yeah. haven't grown up with it 
You know, it's like trying to sell hockey in Miami, for example, or Nashville or some of these places, Phoenix, where people don't grow up with that sport. So it's harder to get them into it. And when you're talking, once again, about the Nordic countries that haven't grown up with pro wrestling, really, it's probably harder to break it to the mainstream just by proxy of, of, of the fact they don't really have that that legacy with it. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like in Britain, they've got this like multi like years, like, decades, yeah, like dozens and dozens of years of, yeah. of pro wrestling back, you know, Big Daddy and the Marty Joneses and, you know, the Fit Finlays and everything world of sport. Uh, but like even in Germany, you you wrestled for Otto Wands and Peter Williams, you, you know, like they had this yeah. huge they, they had a, a tradition, you know, they had built that business for, for decades. So in Finland, it's been here for 16 years. You know, we built it from the ground up. Same thing in Norway, same thing in Sweden, same thing in Denmark. It hasn't been here. It hasn't been. It's not it's not been a staple. And and largely, by and large in Finland, people view sports to be a holy thing. So like pro wrestling is a bastardization of sport in, in the way that people look at oh, this fake wrestling. They actually they have a name for it here called show wrestling. I hate it too, right? Because it's it's professional. What I do is pro wrestling. It's not, I don't, you know, there are showman elements, but what I do is pro wrestling. And I have that pride. But they have the term for it, which is like a, a national term called show wrestling. And uh, people have this preconception that it's just a show, nothing more. You know, it's like it, nothing hurts. Uh, it's yeah, just acrobatics and all this. And you have to reprogram that audience. You have to re-educate them. It's like Bill Watts said that you know you have you have an obligation, or you it's it's like as a promoter, as a company, you are the one offering to the audience what it is that you want to present. Right. And that's what I'm doing with Slam Wrestling. It's a re-education process. Now, I'm not presenting show wrestling. I'm presenting pro wrestling. Well, and, and like you said, that, that's something that you have to teach to those people, um, which you have been at least, at least for, for to a certain extent. But I want to, you know, let's talk a little bit too uh, about your Japanese career, because that's where I really started hearing about you a lot. Because obviously, you know, like you're talking about the, the wrestling in Finland and, and, and you're working hard and it's there, but it's not so much in the mainstream as far as wrestling media. Whereas you, know, you pick up the Wrestling Observer and you're reading about, you know, smash wrestling to Jerry. Everyone knows to Jerry and the champion yeah. is rebel Starbuck. And that's when I was like, is that the same guy? Really? Mike's yeah. Mike's the champ there. Um, yeah. That kind of really gave you a lot of credibility uh, for people that didn't really know what you were doing or who you even were. Absolutely. I credit to Jerry as being the guy that believed in me to, to open the door for me to come to Japan. I booked him once. I often tell people this, that, like and this is the serendipity of the good Lord above once again. I mean, it's it's a, there. You can't bypass it. You can't you can't like uh, discredit it. it. Yeah. You can't ignore it. The thing is that I brought to Jiri to Finland in 2010. It was February 10th of 2010 for for our biggest wrestling show of the year. It's called uh, Winter War, and I was I made a deal with this one restaurant chain in Finland called SK restaurants is like uh so it's the initials of the guy that basically is the big boss anyway they own several restaurants in finland nightclubs and stuff like that and they we ran this winter war event at their venue one of their venues in helsinki and i made a deal with them that they bankrolled part of that event so uh they gave me a budget and uh they said that within this budget get us 
a main star that people would know that would sell tickets that, that, that would have like, you know, so some potential to draw people. So I drafted up a bunch of names in 2010 that were like on the free agent, you know, circuit that would have been plausible. And I believe it or not, it boiled down to a choice of either honky tonk manner to Jerry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I, that I chose the Jerry. Anyway, I got a hold of uh, Tajiri through his website. It was a Japanese buzzsaw.com at the time. I made the pitch. He bit. Didn't know who I was from Adam, man. But he bit. He figured I want to go to Finland. Never been here before, I guess. And uh, I tell you, he came here the first day that he was here. When he landed, his stomach was completely messed up somehow. I guess the bacteria is different from Japan and Europe. And he ate some local food and his stomach got messed up. And and and, and I, I I was his chauffeur. I mean, as the promoter, I, I shipped him all around town. And, and treated him the best that I could. I didn't have money for like taxis here and there and everywhere. So anyway, at, when he was sick, when he came in, I brought him to a Japanese restaurant, made him, made sure that I brought him to some place where, you know, somebody made like Japanese meals for him and stuff like that, uh, even someone's home. And, uh, and he was so taken by the hospitality. He was so taken by the fact that I went out of my way to make him feel like accommodated. And to and to make you know to to do my best on his behalf, that when it came match time, and and he said, "What's your finisher?" You know, I didn't ex- you know it's like mm. I had to expect to to basically just you know to do the honors that night, but he asked me, "What's your finisher?" And yeah, I told him what it was, and and uh, and we did business that night for over twenty minutes, and after that match, he said. He went on social media in Japan, on Twitter and everything else. And he said, there's this guy in Finland. He's, he's got so much charisma that I'm going to bring this guy to Japan. And that was the, my, my thing is that, is, is that for some reason, like in Japan, Tajiri once told me, you know, we were on this tour with Smash between, uh, it was between Osaka or it was between Nagoya and, and Tokyo. I think it was somewhere after Osaka. We're, we're coming back with a bus. We're at this roadside stop, and Tajiri takes me aside. It was in like 2011 or two, I think it was, yeah, 2011. He took me aside. He said, Starbuck, everyone here likes you because you're straight. I, th- I think what he was saying is that 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 I was like, you know, honest. I, I had yeah. integrity. A straight shooter. Right? Yeah, a straight shooter, right? I didn't play no games. No, there was no politics, no nothing. And I, it's the truth. I never did. I never played that. I never played that game. So, and, and, he, and the thing is that I realized that you know, I, I had this favor with the office. I was the hookup guy. By the way, I was the I was the foreign agent for Smash and for WNC, which was the company that followed Smash with uh, Tajiri at the helm. I was his foreign agent. I booked all of the foreign talent, more or less, for that company. Right. Yeah. So the thing is that uh, I was able to like get into a position with the company to become valuable to them because I took care of business and and I handled my business well, and. Uh, I think that, like, I asked one time, it was the production office of the uh, company that, that did the Smash TV shows. They also did the All Japan, by the way. Mm. It was called Broncos. And and then I also asked one of my good friends, Dr. Hiroaki Terasaki, who is now one of the medical staff for uh, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. I, I asked these guys and some other people, like, why do you think I'm so popular in Japan? Because, like, in the year 2010, I debuted in, in uh, it was... July, July 24th, I debuted 
And inside of a half a year, by the time Weekly, Weekly Pro Wrestling Magazine did their year-end poll and they, you know, they did the gallops with all the, the readers, I was voted in the top five guys, Jin, in like out of all companies, I was number five in that year. And, and let me just say, just for people that are listening to this, I've never been nominated as a top five guys, Jing. I mean, this is something that Kenny Omega, AJ Styles, Bob Sapp, you know, those type of guys would get voted into that area. So for you to get yeah. in there for working for basically an independent company shows yeah. just how much of an impact you had there. Yeah, it was crazy. It was nuts. You know, like, and, and the thing is the smash, they, 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 out of, let's say 30 somehow like relevant companies inside of Japan, inside of like the period of like one, one and a half years, they rose from like nothing to the like the fifth or sixth biggest company in the in, in the country and the thing is i was their main guy during that rise i was the, the adversary and the main rival of tajiri and uh so the thing is anyway my point being here that um that one day tajiri also said to me that you know when people in japan pay their hard-earned yen once twice a week to go and see something like just to to like make you know to a detour from the mundane reality of their lives they don't want to see regular Joe Schmoes just like them. What they want to see is King Kong versus Godzilla. Of course, right, sure. So they want to see something special that they're not going to see every day. And then I asked these people, like the, the Broncos production company that did the TV, and I asked my friend Dr. Hiroaki Terasaki, people like that. I said, why do you think I'm so popular? Why is Starbucks so popular in Japan? They thought about it for a second, and, and the, the answer amongst everybody was synonymous. You know what it was? They said, "They said charisma. You've got you. You're the untouchable one." Right. And for and some, that, for some reason, it's like I'm not the biggest. You know, I'm not. I'm. I'm only 180 tall, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not like 100 kilo. I'm not the biggest. I'm a natural. I don't juice. Uh, I'm not the greatest wrestler out there. I don't. I'm not a high flyer. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm all around pretty good at what I do. I'm like this Bret Hart, Ted DiBiase, million dollar man style of wrestler, from like a throwback. But I have a connection. I have this presence, this body language, this because I believe what I do, and I'm passionate about it, and it connects in some strange way with the Japanese mentality. But I mean, like you said, you you have that style, kind of the 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 no-nonsense style, also uh, strong style, which is, you know, very important. And plus, Tajiri has great charisma, too. So you have yeah. to you have to find somebody, you know, with, whether it's like, I don't know, just throwing a name out, like when, when, when it was The Rock versus Jericho, and The Rock was such a great baby face. You need a heel with great charisma to, to, to go against that. So I can see you and Tajiri yeah. having, you know, a, a lot of great chemistry there. Let me ask you a quick question. You you did so well there, and like I said, this is not just you tooting your own, your own horn. I've heard about this yeah. and seen a lot of it. What what, yeah. what happened when Tajiri's company went out of business? Did, was there no other offers from any of the other companies over there to continue working there? The business changed. Like in 2013, about 2013, 2014, the business took a drastic downturn in the sense that I'm not sure if you know this, but we had this new slew of gaijin like young boys i i i'd call them like i i well actually i'll call them what they are they're marks because what they did was they would pay their own three-month visa to enter japan they'd pay their own flights they'd work for next to nothing or then for free sleep on the dojo floors just to say on social media that i work in japan right sure so you had these kids coming in and and 
if you've got this offer being made like across the board and you know the first company to really do these things that they call the world tryouts was zero one mm-hmm. and that was the deal is that these guys would fly themselves in on this world tryout basis you know the company pays them a nominal fee and and they take a look at them. Hardly any of them are, are like ever brought back, of course, because it's just a way to make some money off these guys and get some free work. But anyway, the point being that that uh, because I mean, once you make a name for yourself, as you know, you can't go back. You know, you it's like you just you you can't you you're a prostitute. I, I actually you're not even a prostitute. You're a slut because you're giving it away for right. free, right? So uh, you can't do it. So once you've been there, and you know you. They've paid for your hotel. They've paid to bring you in. They, they've invested in you. They brought, you know, they brought your public perception up and everything like that in front of their audience. You're worth something. So therefore, after that, you can't go and just work for peanuts or work for free. And you have to have that professional pride because the name of the game is professional wrestling. Sure. So I I, I went there and 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 once that deal closed into jury, uh, he he was finished with that WNC because he moved on to Wrestle One with Keiji Muto and brought some of the guys over and stuff. He said to me, he, by the way, Tajiri wrote me, he said, see you in WNC. Cause I mean, we were tight, man. Even to this day, mm-hmm. me and Tajiri tight. And, uh, and, and he said, we'll see you in WNC. Anyway, he, he was made the booker there for, for a while too in WNC. But what happened was the money fell out. Now, as you know, new Japan is the only company in all of the country of Japan that has a fi- like a healthy financial backing. They have that card company that that bankrolls. Bushy them. Road, yeah. Right, right. So, which is great because the thing is that they can put like you know their advertisements all over the Tokyo metro stations, and you know that costs a lot of money, and it's like it's a drop in the pan for them. But all these other companies, literally, and I've heard this time and time and time again, they're all living hand to mouth. The money is not there. The sponsors are not there. And the guys that are working Japan, the main gaijins that are there right now, more, more or less, they, they have personal sponsors that, that, that make it possible for them to enter the country and do what they do. It's not like the companies are paying, like the wrestling companies are paying the, the, the bulk of their, of their expense. It's, they have personal sponsors. So, so you, you come to this stage where, like, what you going to do? What you, like, the business has changed. These, these young marks, they're coming and working for free. And then it's you're left without because there's no money anymore. Were you just there? Weren't you just in Japan recently? Yeah, yeah. I was this. Yeah, this past September, I worked for Jimmy Suzuki's Tokyo Championship Wrestling. Those people remembered me after four years, man. I came back, and it was like it was like you know King Midas freaking returning to the throne. <laughs> it was. It was. It's amazing. Those people. They is the magic was there the second I stepped out. And that with Tajiri, it was a tag match. It was a main event. They had Sabu and Masaru Tanaka and Achushi Onida and people like that on the card. Well, you know what? They put us as the main event. You versus? Yeah, the tag team match. Me me and this guy called Utamaro against Tajiri and uh, yeah. Yusuke Kodama. So is this something that you're going to continue to go to Japan when the time is when you get the right offers for it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'd love to go to Japan for the rest of my life because I've never been treated so well as I've been treated in Japan. I mean, it's like, you know, as you know, when they like you there, when they love you, you are treated like royalty. I mean, you can do no wrong. Just make sure you don't screw up. Put it that way. Right. Exactly. And treat, treat, treat the business with respect and you'll, you'll get, and and if you have that, that fighting spirit, you'll get the 
the respect, you know, was thrown back at you. So uh, as, as we wind down here, I got a couple more things. I wanted to hear your philosophy on the psychology of wrestling because it's very interesting to read your mindset on uh-huh. on it uh, in the book. Well, I'll tell you what. For me, the worst thing that anybody can say to me is that, yeah, you're just a fake wrestler. Right. You know, ever since I've been young, ever since I've been a fan, uh, you know, all of us are fans, even to this day, we wouldn't be in this business unless we were. So the thing is that, I mean, even if it's a job, I still love it. And and for me, I, it's a matter of pride. I'm in the make-believe business. I make believers out of people. So it's like Johnny Valentine said back in the day. Hold on a second. I, That's great. I'm in the make-believe business. I make believers out of people. Love that. That's, That's correct. Great. That's so correct. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. So Johnny Valentine, Greg Valentine's father said back in the day that I can't make you believe professional wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. Mm-hmm. And it's like Ole Anderson said back back in the day, too, that it's like uh, if, if you can watch any match on the card, but then watch my match. If you see any bullshit in my match, I'll give you your money back. Right. And, and that's the pride that I have in, in, in my work. So I'm not a high spot guy. I'm not like I don't do things that discredit the credibility of of this thing that we call professional wrestling. I've had so many people. I had Miles Zerno. You know Miles Zerno yeah. out of the old CWA. When I when I took the uh, the European title, the top catch European title off of Michael Kovac, it was a, it was a tournament final in Wismar, Germany, back in 2011. Miles Zerno was sitting in the audience, and he said to Michael Kovac after that match, "Were you guys shooting?" Hmm. Because it sure as shit looked like it. And, and if you could fool one of the boys like that, what do you think the people are seeing? Well, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, when you can work the boys, you know you've got the people for sure. Well, that's the whole thing. So, like for me, I've had so many people when I when I throw a punch. That's one of my one of my proudest suits is the fact that I'm a great puncher. I really am. I'm a good talker. I'm a really good puncher. So the thing is that uh, uh, when I when I thrown punches, I've had guys that are friends of mine, guys that are cameramen, taking like pictures from like let's say a, a meter and a half away, saying it looked like you're just murdering the guy. It's like you can hear the knuckles cracking on the skull. That's the pride that I have. I'm not hurting the guy, you know, intentionally, and it's it, he, he's still he's completely fine afterwards. But the thing is that I do it in a way that I make believers out of people because the thing is this, like Terry Funk said in his book, More Than Hardcore, he said that when it looks like I'm hurting, you got to understand I am hurting. When it looks like I'm going crazy, you got to understand I am actually going crazy. And that's the thing that I live by, that when I step in there, for me, it's it becomes 100% real in that ring. Which is one of the reasons why you've been so successful uh, in a yep. lot of different things. I wanted to talk to you quickly about all the bands that you've been in um there's been so many good ones from stoner kings to to uh, i can't remember the other the, what's the beginning with an h hallelujah no what's it called no no ha- hallowed hallowed like, that's hallowed. that was a good one yeah, that was but my first band back in 99 it's interesting to me that the one that you've had the most success with is crossfire which is a southern rock band from finland which yeah. seems very strange that, you know, it's not from Jacksonville, Florida or Mobile, Alabama. It comes from the uh, southern redneck shores of freaking Helsinki or whatever. That's I thought that was pretty, kind of an interesting dichotomy there. It's actually originally from Fort Worth. Really? Yeah. Back in 1991, the, our drummer and our original guitarist started the band as a blues band back in 91. And they did the club circuit in Florida. Yep. And then they migrated here uh, around the, the uh, turn of the century. So you guys have done a lot of stuff with Crossfire, and you're still with them at this at this time, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, right now we're recording uh, a remake of Michael Hayes' "Bad Street USA." <laughs> <laughs> 
And it, I can tell you, it's a lot better than the original, man. Um, <laughs> so l- last last uh, question for you. Last couple questions for you. What's your end game for or uh, for for the new company? Like, is this something you want to do? on a regular basis for slam wrestling, or do you want to just do it as a one and done and see how it goes? No, I, I, I plan on actually becoming a Baltic promoter as my, uh, like I said, I'm 45 years old right now and, and life goes on, man. And, and the thing is you you have to be involved with the things that your heart burns for. Otherwise it's going to be stress, stress, stress. When you do the things that you love, it's called passion. When, you, when you're involved with things that you don't care about and you have to immerse yourself in those things, it's called stress. I'd rather have passion than have stress in my life. So therefore, I want to I expand with the pro wrestling uh, ventures into uh, Estonia, into Latvia, even over into, into, into uh, Sweden. And why not even into like St. Petersburg, Russia, man? The thing is that uh, like for me, it's, I, I need the challenge. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I love the challenge. I want to step up the plate and, and I want to immerse myself in worthwhile things that when it comes time for me to die, when my mortality is up, my time is up, I can look back on my life and say that, thank you, Lord, I had an incredibly rewarding and fulfilling life because I immersed myself in things of value. So that's my end game. I want to make this into a sales service that I can sell. I'm not looking to promote myself, to be honest with you. I'm looking to sell wrestling content to clubs, to event organizers, to festivals all around the place, custom tailored on demand as an all-star service. Customer gets to choose what kind of talent he wants to see. I can get your talent from from, from all around the world. Is this something that people worldwide can watch the, the show or you haven't moved well, into that hopefully yet? I, well, I'm, I'm looking right now into a platform that uh, would be like a, a streaming platform you pay, let's say, a nominal fee of, let's say, five euro, whatever it would be, five dollars to to access the uh, the stream and then watch. I'm looking into that right now. So I, I, time will tell, but it's it's uh, I'm working on it. Well, listen, man, like I said, with all the stuff you've accomplished, I'm not going to say that you won't get that done. <laughs> you probably will for sure. Last question for you, man. What's your favorite match that you've ever had if you had to pick a couple? Well, geez, I think like one of the best was when I dropped the uh, the FCF championship to Tajiri. Uh, the 22nd of November, 2010, at JCB Hall in Tokyo. We were the main event. We damn near sold the place up. We had more people with Smash in that arena than any other company in Japan, including New Japan. We, we drew more people to that venue with us as the main event, where I did the honors for him that night. And and that actually had, my I think, my sixth career concussion in that match. But anyway, that was one of my favorites. Then... I would say a match in 2005 with Steve Carino in Helsinki. It was just like, I, you saw that back in the day. You actually sent me, you, you, I, I think I sent you that. You, you sent some comments to me actually about that one. Uh, but that was one of my favorites too. And, I, you know, there's been so many of them, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, but there's a couple right there for you. Well, man, like I said, it's it's cool to me that you're doing all this stuff. And, you know, we started together. And, man, I'm super proud of you and all the stuff you've accomplished because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show and, and, and talk about your book and talk about you. I want people to know Rebel Starbuck. So you're not just the most well-traveled, well-known wrestler that people don't know in North America. And I think that'll change uh, with all of the things that you're doing now in, in the Baltic area. And uh, now you're a promoter, man. It's uh, Vince McMahon, Tony Khan, and uh, Mike Majolati, Rebel Starbuck. <laughs> hey, bring me over to that AEW. Let's do some business there, brother. <laughs> hey, do me a favor quickly. I love the Finnish language. Finish off by giving me a little Finnish promo. 
Kuulkaa nyt ihmiset, tämä on Chris Jerichon podcasti Talk is Jericho. Minun, minun nimi on Michael Majalahti, The Rebel Starbuck, ja minä kutsun teidät Slam Wrestling Finlandin Megalodgein 22.3. Sirkuksessa Helsingissä. Ostakaa Ticketmasterin kautta lippunen nyt. NYT nyt. Perkele! Awesome stuff, man. Great talking to you, brothers. Keep in touch and hopefully get a chance to uh, see each other again soon. All right. God bless you, Chris. Thank God, you so much. God bless you too, brother. Thank you, man. Starbucks Get Slam Wrestling is putting on the Mega Launch event in Helsinki, Finland on March 22nd at the Circus. Follow them on Facebook for information on how you can get tickets to this event. It's Slam Rest. That's Slam W-R-E-S on Facebook. And don't forget Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, Part 2, the second wave. It's selling out fast. We were over 75% sold out in a month. Took us seven months to get there last time. So if you want to go, don't you dare miss it. Go to Chris Jericho cruise.com to book your cabin now we are setting sail again next year january 20th to the 24th in 2020 why is there so many 20s because this vacation is gonna be 20 uh, times better than any other vacation you've ever had and i want you to be there with us there's a huge lineup so many more to be announced but so far i'm the master of ceremonies aew is already on board all elite wrestling fozzy is playing Uh, brad williams is going to be the host of the cruise he was the hit last year Vicky Carrero, uh, this year's a special guest cruise director. Bruce Jingles will be doing some stand-up, a hot young guy uh, that we just found here uh, on the cruise. You're going to love him. Beyond the Darkness is back. Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis uh, back to scare the pants off you. It's going to be amazing. DDP doing D- uh, live DDP yoga workouts. Then we got the NWO, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman will be there. Jake the Snake Roberts on board. Farewell to Fear, already signed on to rock the ship this year as well. We toured with them uh, a few months ago on the last Fozzie tour in Canada. They were great. Don't forget so many others to be announced. It's going to blow your mind how many great, great talents we have on board. Rubik's Cube is going to be there, the world's uh, best 80s tribute band. These guys are great. Steve Brown and PJ Farley from Trickster in the band. Joey Casado from ZO2. They are a great rock and roll band. So much coming up. We've got another big announcement on Thursday. More Hall of Fames and great uh, Hall of Famers, great uh, rock and roll bands. So much coming up. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. You're going to love it. And uh, trust me, you do not want to miss this. Don't forget Fozzie opening for Iron Maiden September 14th at the uh, uh, Bank of California Stadium. We've got uh, uh, lots of stuff coming up with Fozzie. Don't forget, we got a little bit of a mini run coming up, getting out of the uh, the studio, as we've been saying. We're playing on March 15th, sorry, May 15th, Greenville, South Carolina at the Firmament. May 16th, Greensboro, North Carolina at Cone Denim. May 17th, Virginia Beach, Virginia at the Lunatic Luau. Uh, and May 18th in Camden, New Jersey for the great, great station WMMR, the WMMR Barbecue we're going to be there. So come check it out. Nita Strauss is opening those uh, couple first couple shows. So go to uh, FozzyRock.com for all ticket info and VIP info. And that's about it. All right. Speaking of Iron Maiden, uh, on Friday, Classic Album Clash returns. And this time it's Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast versus Power Slave. I got a great, great panel. Metal expert Lizzie Borden, uh, uh, Talk is Jericho alumni. Solo Cup Jeff. Talk is Jericho alumni. Hopefully he'll stay awake this time. And of course, Brian Slagle, the founder of Metal Blade Records and a total Iron Maiden fanatic almost as much as I am. They will be joining us to debate these two classic albums. The classic album clash returns on Friday. Until then, have a great week. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big yeah, boy. And don't forget about Mega Launch. All right, Rebel Starbucks Slam Wrestling is putting on the Mega Launch event in Helsinki, Finland on March 22nd at the Circus. 
Follow them on Facebook for information on how you can get tickets to this event. It's Slam Rest. That's Slam W R E S on Facebook. And don't forget Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part Two, the second wave. It's selling out fast. We were over seventy five percent sold out in a month. It took us seven months to get there last time. So if you want to go, don't you dare miss it. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com to book your cabin now. We are setting sail again next year, January twentieth to the twenty fourth in twenty twenty. Why is there so many twenties? Because this vacation is going to be twenty. Uh, times better than any other vacation you've ever had and i want you to be there with us there's a huge lineup so many more to be announced but so far i'm the master of ceremonies aew is already on board all elite wrestling fozzy is playing Uh, brad williams is going to be the host of the cruise he was the hit last year Vicky Guerrero, uh, this year's a special guest cruise director. Bruce Jingles will be doing some stand-up, a hot young guy uh, that we just found here uh, on the cruise. You're going to love him. Beyond the Darkness is back. Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis uh, back to scare the pants off you. It's going to be amazing. DDP doing D- uh, live DDP yoga workouts. Then we got the NWO, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Walton will be there. Jake the Snake Roberts on board. Farewell to Fear, already signed on to rock the ship this year as well. We toured with them uh, a few months ago on the last Fozzie tour in Canada. They were great. Don't forget so many others to be announced. It's going to blow your mind how many great, great talents we have on board. Rubik's Cube is going to be there, the world's uh, best 80s tribute band. These guys are great. Steve Brown and PJ Farley from Trickster in the band. Joey Casado from ZO2. They are a great rock and roll band. So much coming up. We've got another big announcement on Thursday. More Hall of Fames and great uh, Hall of Famers, great uh, rock and roll bands. So much coming up. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Uh, you're going to love it. And uh, trust me, you do not want to miss this. Don't forget Fozzie opening for Iron Maiden September 14th at the uh, uh, Bank of California Stadium. We've got uh, uh, lots of stuff coming up with Fozzie. Don't forget, we got a little bit of a mini run coming up, getting out of the uh, the studio, as we've been saying. We're playing on March 15th, sorry, May 15th, the Greenville, South Carolina at the Firmament. May 16th, Greensboro, North Carolina at Cone Denim. May 17th, Virginia Beach, Virginia at the Lunatic Luau. Uh, And May 18th in Camden, New Jersey for the great, great station WMMR, the WMMR Barbecue. We're going to be there. So come check it out. Nita Strauss is opening those uh, couple first couple shows. So go to uh, FozzyRock.com for all ticket info and VIP info. And that's about it. All right. Speaking of Iron Maiden, uh, on Friday, classic album clash returns. And this time it's Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast versus Power Slave. I got a great, great panel. Metal expert Lizzie Borden, uh, uh, Talk is Jericho alumni. Solo Cup Jeff, Talk is Jericho alumni. Hopefully he'll stay awake this time. And of course, Brian Slagle, the founder of Metal Blade Records and a total Iron Maiden fanatic almost as much as I am. They will be joining us to debate these two classic albums. The classic album clash returns on Friday. Until then, have a great week. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big... Keep boy, and don't forget about Megalons!